Hey, Saints Hill, Gerald Griffin here. It's an absolute honor and privilege uh, to be teaching today. I wish this was in person. I absolutely would love to be with you guys. I uh, can't wait to be back out with you. Um, and I'm sure you guys are all dying to be together as well. Um, if you don't know me, I'm one of the leaders at Bridgetown Church in Portland, and most of your leadership at Saints Hill um, were part of Bridgetown, and most of them I know really, really well, and uh, just love the crew, love your elders and their wives, and know these leaders well, and just absolutely um, believe in them and are so proud of them. And I just want to say, almost like Paul, when he heard reports about these churches uh, that we'll get to later in the book of Acts, uh, but I just have like so much pride um, just hearing about what's happening at Saints Hill and hearing about um, the gospel spreading in Newburgh. It's literally radiating out of everything that you guys do in the life that you're living together there. So well done. I uh, wish I could be with you guys in person. We'll do our best um, in this moment. So let me pray, and then we're going to jump into the scriptures. So Father, Son, and Spirit, we ask that you, Holy Spirit, that you would open our eyes, that you would lead us into all truth, that you would illuminate the scriptures, that you would help us to hear what you want to say to us. And God, thank you for this moment. Thank you for even the technology that we can uh, meet together this way. And I pray that the things that I say would be from you to strengthen, equip, and encourage um, everyone listening today. So come, Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen. Awesome. So you guys are in the book of Acts, the house of Acts. I absolutely love it. I've been following along, getting ready uh, to do this teaching and share with you guys today. Um, and as you know, the, the book of Acts was actually called the Acts, traditionally the Acts of the Apostles, but I think it should be renamed. It's really the Acts of Jesus and the Holy Spirit. And I know you guys have been leaning into that and learning with that. It, the, the book of Acts begins with Jesus with his followers in these parting moments before he ascends. And I think he gives the framework, kind of the outline in Acts 1.8. Jesus says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And I think that the structure of the book, and it's really important, Luke is smart as he's putting this together, as he's crafting with the Holy Spirit and his human ingenuity and insight, as he crafts the book of Acts, I think this is actually his outline. You see that the gospel, the Holy Spirit comes and the gospel is um, explodes in Jerusalem. Then after that, you will see uh, in chapters uh, 8 through 12, where we're going to be today, um, the gospel exploding in Judea and Samaria. And then starting in 13, all the way till the end of the book, um, it goes to the ends of the earth. So I think that's the pattern that Luke is following. So that means uh, where we are today, we're going to be in Acts chapter 11. We're actually in that section where the gospel is going from where it began in Jerusalem, and now it's expanding into Judea and Samaria. And really, this is a story about how this mainly um, Jerusalem-based Jewish community of believers, remember Acts chapter 2, the Pentecost comes, the Spirit breaks out. That is in Jerusalem with 
Jewish believers in Jesus, uh, that, that massive um, pouring out of the Spirit, the birth of the church right there, is um, now becoming, as we're going to see, this multi-ethnic international movement. It's, it's absolutely exciting where we're going to land today. Uh, this is an absolute turning point, not only in the book of Acts, but even in the story of God. This is a critical moment. Um, and, and you see this even in Luke's structure and how he writes, because the story that we're going to get into is actually a repeat of the story from last week. Luke tells this story two times for emphasis. He wants you, in case you miss it the first time, he wants you to get it again and see what's happening. So this is Acts um, chapter 11. We're going to be begin in verse 1. And um, yeah, let me just go ahead and read the first couple verses. Acts chapter 11, starting in verse 1, it says, The apostles and the believers throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles also had received the word of God. So when Peter went up from Jerusalem, or excuse me, went up to Jerusalem, the circumcised believers criticized him and said, you went into the house of an uncircumcised man and you ate with him. So notice what's happening here. This is really interesting. Peter, in the story before that you heard last week, um, Peter has this life-changing vision from the Spirit of God, and then he encounters, the Spirit tells him to go to this man, he goes to him, and he encounters this Roman centurion named Cornelius. And we're actually going to hear this story again. But um, basically now, Peter has had this massive heart change. He's seen the gospel break out with Gentiles right in front of him. Um, and he's going back to Jerusalem where everything began, Pentecost, Acts 2. He's going back there to meet with the church leaders. When he goes back there, the original apostles of the church, um, he's immediately questioned by them. He's criticized by them. And, and basically, word has spread back to Jerusalem that uh, the Gentiles have started to believe in Jesus, that they're receiving forgiveness, and what's more, they're even receiving the Holy Spirit. But notice what this group, this, they're called the uncircumcised, so these are Jewish followers of Jesus, and uh, they're in Jerusalem. And notice what they're so upset about. They're mad and they're accusing Peter for going into the house of an uncircumcised man and eating with him. Like literally, they're having this meeting and the thing they're mad about is who Peter ate with. That's their complaint. So um, as like a modern reader and not from Jewish background and culture, we have to ask, why is this such a big deal? Of all the things to be excited about, and especially with a high-profile leader like Peter. Peter was the one in Acts chapter 2 when the Holy Spirit came at Pentecost, is on the steps of the temple, and he's the original guy preaching that Jesus is back from the dead. Many of these leaders probably came to faith from Peter, and now they're calling on the carpet. Like, what is the deal? Why are they so upset about who Peter eats with? Well, for us, it, it is a completely different way um, to look at this. And if you're not familiar with the story, here's a little bit of background of what's happening here. Remember that Israel, under the Old Covenant, was given these food laws and ceremonial laws. And basically, these were to mark out the Jewish people and show that they were different from their neighbors. And the calling of Israel was simply 
as a nation to be God's people and to live in such a way, to live holy, set apart to their God, Yahweh, in everything that they did so that they would be a witness to their neighbors. They were to live in such a way that people would see them and would glorify God and say, wow, surely your God is amazing. Surely he's good and compassionate and loving and holy. They were called, literally in Isaiah, to be a light to the nations, a city on a hill. That was who Israel was supposed to be, to live in such a way that the Gentiles would see them and turn to God. And you remember even back from Exodus chapter 19, when uh, Moses goes up onto Mount Sinai and receives the, the Ten Commandments, that right there, there's this dialogue going on where God is basically originally inviting all of Israel up to meet with him. If you remember the narrative, but they're afraid. God says, I want you all to come up and I want you all to be a kingdom of priests. But Israel is afraid. There's a lot of thunder. There's a lot of mountain. There's smoke. It sounds crazy. And they're like, we're not going to go up there. We go up there. He's going to probably kill us. We, that's like, we're afraid. We can't go meet with Yahweh. So Moses is like, fine, I will go. And what happened in that moment was the original intention for Israel was to go up to meet with God and then to become priests, all of them. All of Israel would be priests and they would go back as a priest nation into the Gentile nations to represent God, what a priest does, represent um, God to mankind and mankind to God. But instead they were afraid and they forfeited that. And instead of being a um, nation of priests, they became a nation with priests. So their original call has all along been to, been these, to be these intermediaries, to be these ones that represent Yahweh their God to the pagan Gentile nations, to go and introduce the nations to the God that loves them and is calling Gentiles, even Gentiles to themselves. But up until this point in the whole story of God, that has not happened yet. They, they basically, it's almost like this analogy that I love. Uh, I think this is from N.T. Wright. He said, Israel is like the ambulance that God sends to rescue people, but the ambulance on the way has fallen off the road. It has actually like been in an accident itself, and now it needs rescuing. And that's a key point. The reason why even Jesus comes first to Israel and then to the Gentiles, is this. All along, Israel was supposed to be God's tool, God's people to reach the nations, but they need to be reached first. Israel needs to be saved, and then they can go to the Gentiles, right? This is why Jesus came. So Israel had these holiness laws, and these laws included um, how they ate, and all of this was to show them to be set apart to God, that they're supposed to be holy to God in everything they do, even as, um, as like minutia, the minutia of eating, what they ate and who they ate with. So this group, this circumcised group of um, followers of Jesus in Jerusalem are upset with Peter because Peter has broken these laws. And in it specifically has to do with who he eats with. Because all of us know from like grade school on, who you eat with, you intimately identify with. Like, I mean, I don't want to, you know, cause any uh, undue 
PTSD, but remember when you were in elementary school or middle school or high school and you walk in to the lunchroom, the people that you sit with, the people that invite you and welcome you to their table, those people become your intimate acquaintances. They become who you're known as. And even for a Jew in this first century, it was even who was family to you. So the Jewish family of God is called to be separate, and yet Peter is eating with Gentiles. What in the heck is he doing? Now, what's interesting is it's easy from our perspective to look at this and go, oh, they, they don't get it. They don't know. They don't, they, you know, they're like, oh, they're totally missing it. But honestly, their motivation and their desire for purity and their desire for Peter to remain pure, even as a Jesus follower, he's a Jew, their desire for him to be ceremonially pure is actually a good thing, right? I mean, think about this. Even today, as followers of Jesus under the new covenant, we're called to be set apart. We are called to be holy to God. Like we live in the city, but we're not to be like our city. We live in the world, but we're to tell a different story with our lifestyle, with our language, and how we um, spend our money and our sexuality and how we eat and drink is actually different than the world, right? We are called to live holy lives just as Israel was. I am supposed to be set apart to God in every area of my life. And I think if we can just pause here for a minute, I think that's actually something important for each of us to slow down and to allow the Spirit of God to speak to us about, like, there's still a call for you and I as followers of Jesus, just like there was to Israel, to be holy, to be set apart. And I wonder if, as I was preparing and thinking about this and thinking about you guys for today, I wonder if there's anything that the Spirit of God wants to illuminate for us, any areas in our lives that are actually have become like the world. The way that we spend our money, the way that we view our sexuality, the way that even we eat and drink. Isn't that interesting? Like, I love where St. Hill is located. You're surrounded by incredible food. And when it's all back open, which will hopefully be very soon, incredible food, incredible wine. But we are to enjoy those things, but we enjoy them differently than the world. The world oftentimes eat and drink it's like, you know, eat, drink, and be merry for tomorrow we may die. They're eating and drinking to fulfill their lives because there's nothing else there. Or they're eating or people are drinking even now in this moment of shelter in place. People are drinking way too much to cover pain, right? But we eat and drink in celebration of the Lord. We eat and drink like we eat and drink the bread and the cup. We eat and drink in celebration. So I just wonder, even as we think about how we live, this is a, a challenging word to think about what is the holiness and what does it look like for you and I to be set apart in everything, in our speech, in the way we conduct our business, in the way that we have our marriages and our parenting and interact with each other. There still is this beautiful call on us to be set apart, to be holy unto the Lord. So this is a huge deal for them. Peter is a leader in this mostly, you know, what was formerly a Jerusalem-only uh, Jewish 
community of believers. And now he's clearly breaking, obviously publicly breaking one of their most clear ceremonial laws. And the church leaders are asking why. What is going on, Peter? What are you doing? So uh, back to the text in verse four, Peter answers. The text says, starting from the beginning, Peter told them the whole story. And again, this is a repeat of the story from last week, just the chapter before, which is really interesting that Luke takes time to tell this story twice. That means it's super important. This is a pivotal pivotal point right now. He says, I was in the city of Joppa praying, and in a trance, I saw a vision. I saw something like a large sheet or even picture like a sail on a small sailboat. And it was being let down from heaven by its four corners, and it came down to where I was. I looked into it and saw four-footed animals of the earth, wild beasts, reptiles, and birds. And I don't know about you, but the fact that it says reptiles makes me just totally sick. That's disgusting. Then I heard a voice telling me, get up, Peter, kill and eat. So think about it again from the the ceremonial laws, the holiness laws around what you eat and what you don't eat as a Jew. And, and, And now here's all these unclean animals. I mean, we often think like it's just pigs were unclean. No, there's like an entire, it's like chapters and chapters of Leviticus of all these animals you can't eat. And definitely reptiles, because that is disgusting. And then he says in verse eight, he says, surely not, Lord. So now he's arguing with this angel or the Lord himself in this vision. And he says, nothing impure or unclean has ever entered my mouth. Then the voice from heaven spoke a second time. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. This happened three times, and then it was pulled up into heaven again. What a crazy vision. Peter gets this vision and he basically argues with the Lord. And, you know, kill and eat, all these animals are now clean. And Peter's like, no way, I can't do that. And the Lord repeats it graciously. He's like, no, I'm going to work with you, Peter. Let me tell you again, this is okay. And that line is so, so beautiful. Basically, this is the defining line. The Lord says, do not call anything impure that God has made clean. And the implications of that go far beyond just what Peter is allowed to eat. As we see later with Gentiles coming in, that is a loaded, loaded statement. It happens three times, then it goes back up into heaven. The text goes on, verse 11, it says, right then, three men who had been sent to me from Caesarea stopped by at the house where I was saying. So Peter like wakes up from his vision and he hears like, Right away, it happens. So the Spirit told him, told Peter, to have no hesitation about going with them. The six brothers also, the ones that are with Peter, Peter has an entourage, six brothers in the Lord. Now these three other men come to them and say, follow me. So Peter, his six homies, go follow these guys. And they went and entered into this man's house. And this man is who we met in the previous chapter. This is Cornelius, a a centurion, a Roman soldier, the absolute epitome of what Israel hated. Remember, Rome is occupying Israel. They're forcing high taxes. Oftentimes people couldn't pay the taxes and then Rome would confiscate their land. It's brutal conditions 
for everyone, especially the Jews in their land. I mean, it's brutal. And Peter has confirmation from the Holy Spirit, go with this man. He goes and he's standing in front of basically the Israel's arch enemy, a pagan soldier um, and his whole household, his friends, his family, all gathered there. And Peter's there with his entourage. And the centurion, verse 13, told us how he had seen an angel appear in his house and it said, send to Joppa for Simon, who is called Peter. So Peter's like, dang, okay, specific word from the Lord. Go get this guy in this place. Here's his name. So Peter's like, okay, you've got my attention now. He goes on. He, this is uh, Cornelius, the centurion, talking about Peter. He says, he will bring you a message through which you and all your household will be saved. Now, what's super interesting about this, you guys, is that this um, Roman centurion Cornelius had been God-fearing, he prayed, but he didn't know about Jesus. He actually needed someone to come to him and to tell him about Jesus, who Jesus was, what he had done. And I just think this is fascinating. As I think about Alpha, which we're doing at Bridgetown, and I know that you guys are doing at Saints Hill, and I think about what the Spirit of God is doing during this whole COVID-19 shut down. And I just believe there are many like this Cornelius, many people who in our mind we think are far from God, who we think are totally different from us. They wouldn't just walk up and show up on a Sunday. I think there are so many people that God wants us, like Peter, to open our eyes and really their eyes of faith but they're also spiritual eyes to see beyond what's on the surface level. I think people are hurting. Um, I've talked, I talked to Alex about this the other day, and I've talked to so many pastors around that all are having unprecedented numbers of people tuning in and watching uh, Sunday gatherings and Sunday teaching online. It's like exponentially more people are at home watching church on Sunday on their laptops or on their TVs than ever would come into a church building. And I have to think that God, and I just keep hearing this from other friends and leaders, that God is up to something right now in this moment that's unprecedented. And you know, friends, I think that one of the barriers to what God wants to do, to reaching new people and different people, I mean, my sense even for you, Saints Hill, is the people, the harvest of people that God is gonna bring in to your church when you're gathering again, it's gonna surprise you. It's gonna be people that are different, people that look differently than you. And I think the challenge for all of us is to be open to that and to not resist people that are different, that worship different, that talk about God differently, that use different words. I think the challenge for us is to be accepting and loving and welcoming and engaging and not missing what the Spirit's doing. But all the while, we unashamedly rejoice and celebrate pointing people to the truth of Jesus because many won't know the details just like this guy didn't know. So uh, he says, hey, Peter, Peter responds and says, so I began to speak because this guy's like, hey, I heard you were going to come and tell me how we're all going to be saved. And Peter's like, okay, here we go. And as I began to speak, the Holy Spirit came on them just as he had come on us at the beginning. Peter is referring back to Acts 2 at Pentecost when all those different um, Jewish people were gathered together and the Holy Spirit came. They heard about Jesus. There's a massive revival that breaks out 
among Jews. And what Peter is saying right here is so crazy. He's saying the Holy Spirit came on them, Gentiles, just as it did on us Jews. And then Peter says, verse 16, I remembered what the Lord had said. John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So if God gave them the same gift he gave us who believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I to think that I could stand in God's way? So this is a, a moment for Peter where he his brain just basically gets blown and it just shifts into this new way of thinking. He's like, wait a minute. This is exactly what Jesus had said, that John would baptize with water, but I would baptize by the Holy Spirit. And Peter's thinking back to just a little while earlier, we were baptized as Jews, and now all of these Gentiles are being baptized. And if this is what the Lord Jesus Christ is doing, Peter says, who am I to stand in the way? And again, remember when God says, do not call anything impure that God has made clean. This is the moment for Peter where that thought probably fully connects. He realizes, oh, I think of as Gentiles as unclean, but now they're receiving the message of the Lord Jesus Christ and it's being confirmed by the baptism of the Holy Spirit right in front of me. And therefore, like, I get it, God, I'm sorry. These guys are in just as I am. And listen to the response of the circumcised, the Jewish apostles and the leaders in Jerusalem as they hear it. This is beautiful. Verse 18, when they heard this, they had no further objections and praised God saying, so then even the Gentiles, even to the Gentiles, God has granted repentance that leads to life. So they started out, these are high level leaders in Jerusalem. They started out questioning, criticizing Peter. And now Peter gives them this whole story. And by the end of the story, they actually seem to have the same revelation that Peter had. I mean, think about that. They were totally opposing his behavior. They hear the story that took, I don't know, two minutes. And afterwards, they completely pivot. And they're like, awesome. The Gentiles are in. They receive the this, this spirit, Peter. Then we also confirm this is what, God's, this is what God is doing. And I don't know, but when I read that, I thought to myself, I was like, man, um, I have been in so many leadership meetings, so many church meetings where we would never make a decision that fast. You want to go home and pray about it. You want to take a vote on it. But these guys are just, it's just like a, a spirit of flexibility and spirit sensitivity that as soon as they hear what God is doing, they're like, boom, we're, we're on it. Okay. We were going this direction, now we're going that direction. And obviously in leadership, there's great wisdom to planning and to praying and to you know, slowly rolling things out. But also I know that there's another element that I want, that ability to hear, Spirit of God, what are you doing right now? And, and, and how do you want us to respond? And that ability to hear something like that in two minutes and bam, go, this is where God's going. This is a new thing. I want to jump on board. I don't want to miss out. So again, uh, this movement that was mainly Jerusalem, Jewish-focused community of believers is now expanding. This is the moment when basically all the leadership in Jerusalem right here in Acts chapter 11 recognizes this thing is shifting. The Spirit of God is doing something else. This is going to be multi-ethnic. 
It's going to go to different peoples other than just the, the, the Israelites, and it is going to go international. This is the moment. And you'll see in the next story um, next week, what happens in Antioch. It just continues to explode. And again, this is exactly what Jesus said. You're going to receive the Holy Spirit. It's going to go to, you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, which is this, and then now the ends of the earth. And that's where this thing is going. So what is the word and what is um, God saying to Saints Hill today? And there's a lot in here, but um, I think there is a, a specific challenge and an invitation for you as a family around unity. And just think about it for a minute. Here we are in week eight or nine of shelter in place, COVID-19, and we're trying to figure out the state and the counties are trying to figure out how to open things back up again, how to save small businesses, how to get the economy started, um, even legally what we can and can't do in each county and when we can gather as churches again. Um, man, uh, and we may not be worried as our individual churches right now about Jew versus Gentile, or we might not be fighting over ceremonial laws around who we can eat with. But I would bet, and I know this is true in our church, and I'm probably um, right that it's true in yours, right now in our churches, there are massive differences of opinion about how we should be handling this whole moment. There are different positions on how to get the economy started again. If we've already missed our window and we should have done it far sooner, if we do it now, who does that endanger? Should we wait longer? And, and, um, and how do we handle things like a potential vaccine? I've noticed a lot of Christians have a lot of strong opinions around that. Um, how to reenter with social distancing? How do we keep doing that? How do we keep doing masks, group sizes? Um, not to mention we're heading into another election year. We forgot about that, but that's coming again. And what's interesting is with in our households as churches, there are really, really different opinions right now. And some of them are held tightly and with a lot of passion. If you don't believe me, look on social media. Actually, don't. Take my word for it. But I think that even in the most divergent convictions in America, in politics, and in the church, we still are called and can be united under King Jesus. If they figured this out in Acts chapter 11, Jews and Gentiles coming together and the Spirit of God blessed it and they recognized it and they made adjustments to love people that were different than them, then so can we. You know, Jesus is building a church right now and Jesus is building the house, a house of Acts at St. Hill. And, and he's building this church that has people with different backgrounds, but they're united under King Jesus as Lord. Jesus can unite Jews, Gentiles, slaves, free, rich, poor, male, female, men, women, 
That's the beautiful thing that we see in the first century church was all of those different groups coming together, celebrating the Lord's Supper together, usually in a wealthy person's home where they could gather in the courtyard. And all of these different social strata, economic, um, ethnic, would come together under this new King Jesus. And I think now more than ever, our churches need that kind of unity too. Not uniformity. Um, it's not that we can't have different political ideas and different hopes um, for what we're going to see happen in the economy or in the healthcare system or have different political parties or even pol different political candidates. There's freedom on all these topics as followers of Jesus. But we are called to find unity under the gospel of the kingdom of God. And in the words of Paul to the church in Ephesus, which again had all kinds of probably more diversity than we've ever experienced economically, ethnically, socially, Paul's words to them were, make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. And that's an interesting choice of words, Paul. He says, make every effort. In other words, Work hard at this. Work tirelessly at this. Don't give up. Do everything possible within yourself to keep the unity through the bond of peace in the spirit. And I think the call for us right now in this moment as followers of Jesus in our respective churches, the call is to not be distracted by politics, the economy, vaccines, all these important things but we're called to actually lay down our personal agendas for each other in the body of Christ. You may have like really good insight and really passionate ideas around some of these topics and things that are happening right now in our communities. And that's awesome. But I think sometimes the call is to actually loosen the grip on what you hold so passionately to be at peace with another brother or sister in your family who has a different view. Or maybe you, your compassion is, your like, thing is that everybody needs to act and everybody needs to do something about this. And you can be tempted in your heart to judge a brother or sister who doesn't feel that way. And I think this is a moment and a call for us to make every effort. Isn't it interesting that even in that concept of Philippians 2 idea, where Paul is saying, hey, don't merely look out for your own interests but for the interests of others. He appeals to the example of Jesus. Jesus humbled himself by coming to earth and then humbled himself by dying. And not only that, but dying on a cross. Like Jesus, I think the call in this moment is to lay our lives down for our friends and to look at what God is doing around us and celebrate that, to unite around what the Spirit of God is doing in Saints Hill and what's coming next. We want to make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. So, so good to be with you guys. Let me just pray for you real quick. And then uh, we're going to share some words and things that we sense that God is saying uh, by the Spirit to you. So God, thanks so much for this moment together. Thank you for this story, this incredible gospel movement. And God, would you open our eyes to... Um, to see those that are different than us, to see what you're doing in this next season. And God, would you help us to have, just as this community, Jews and Gentiles together, was unified in the gospel by the Spirit, would you help us 
as a church, would you help Saints Hill to have unity, unprecedented love for one another and unity in the spirit, we pray.